This episode of No Playbook is sponsored by LTT Productions. Like, comment, share, tell your friends, even tell your grandma. Get the word out about LTT and we can watch this thing grow together. This episode of No Playbook is brought to you in partnership with musician Jumbo the Bear God. You can get his new song NDA wherever you get your music and make sure to check out his music video on YouTube filmed by Bonzo Raps and in association with Create the Mood Films. A link to his YouTube page will be linked in the Twitter post and also in the description. Make sure you check him out wherever you get your music and thank you to Jobo for partnering for this podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Smith Media Consulting. For all your audio or video production or for media consulting, contact Smith Media Consulting at 618-294-3399. Again, contact Smith Media Consulting at 618 618- Two nine four three three nine nine. Make sure you stay up to date on everything LTT Productions related. You can follow LTT Productions on Twitter at LTT Productions One. You can also follow the host of the No Playbook podcast, Drew Pounton, on Twitter as well at Pounton eighteen. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter for everything LTT Productions related. Welcome back to the No Playbook Podcast here on the LTT Productions feed. I'm your host, Drew Pounton, and today we've got a little bit of everything for you. We've got some NBA news, some MLB news, and some NFL news as well. But before we get started, let's get it to our sponsors. This episode of No Playbook is brought to you in partnership with musician Jumbo the Bear God. You can get his new song NDA wherever you get your music and make sure to check out his music video on YouTube filmed by Bonzo Raps and in association with Create the Move Films. A link to his YouTube page will be linked in the Twitter post and also in the description. Make sure you check him out wherever you get your music and thank you to Jobo for partnering for this podcast. So let's go ahead and start with the Donovan Mitchell news that the Jazz are all of a sudden ready to deal Donovan Mitchell to his next team. Now, there are a number of suitors that I'm sure have been calling Danny Ainge's phone for Donovan Mitchell all offseason, and now all of a sudden he's just wanting to take the calls. I personally liked the package that they got for Rudy Gobert. I thought it was a good piece of... I thought it was a good mix of good players, good role players, and then, of course, you get five first-round picks. Now, there was a report that came out saying that Danny Ainge and the Jazz for Donovan Mitchell are looking for seven to eight first-round picks, and for that kind of price point, I don't really think Donovan Mitchell is worth... Well, hell, I didn't think Rudy Gobert was worth what he got from the Jazz, or from the Timberwolves. Danny Ainge somehow finessed the Timberwolves like he has done so many times over the course of his career just going around and finessing teams. I don't think that Donovan Mitchell is worth seven to eight first-round picks. Now, are they going to get seven to eight first-round picks? I'm sure they are. They're going to get them in some way or form. They're probably going to get three or four unprotected or like top ten protected picks, and then they're going to get pick swaps along with some really good players as well. So the team that immediately came to mind for a lot of people were the Knicks. Him being from New York, him always wanting to be a Knick from what I've understood. Um, But what does that package look like? They just signed Jalen Brunson to a massive deal. So you're going to have to give away either Julius Randle or R.J. Barrett. And the Jazz are in rebuild mode if they trade Donovan Mitchell away. So they're going to want R.J. Barrett. Plus, I think... Julius Randle still has two or three years left on his contract. I know that he's got a pretty hefty deal. I'm pretty sure it's three years, considering he won the uh, most improved player two years ago, and then this was his first year on his new deal. So, yeah, Randle still has a year, three years, excuse me, left on his extension from the Knicks. Now, I think that the Knicks can be really fun to watch. If they bring in Donovan Mitchell, I think that will bring out the best of Julius Randle because I feel like he looked at the team as it's kind of mere bust kind of deal. Um, RJ did go out and average 20, and RJ's a really good piece. I 
whenever Zion was coming out of the draft, I tweeted out whenever this was back in 2019 saying that RJ is going to be the best player out of this draft. Um, I just felt like his scoring was going to be really good. Plus I felt Zion was kind of overhyped and the injuries are, were really going to add up to him. Um, and the injuries have got it so far, but he just signed a massive contract extension. Zion did with the Pelicans. So he's pretty well off, but RJ I think it'd be a really good piece to build around, I guess. I don't even necessarily think you could build around RJ. Um, he, he's kind of the score. He's a score. That's what he is. I think that a trade package of Donovan Mitchell to the Knicks and then RJ Barrett to the Jazz would be perfect for really for RJ and Donovan, obviously. I think that RJ kind of gets lost in New York and he's a really good player I like RJ again I, I thought he was going to be one of the best players out of the draft I like RJ a lot but Donovan Mitchell is 25 years old he's gonna he's about to enter his physical prime and the Knicks are trying to bring attention to themselves they're trying to be flashy they're one of the biggest markets in all of sports and they continue to suck there's no easy way around it. I mean, they had their most successful season of recent date was two years ago whenever they got bounced in the first round by Trey Young. And they were, the media was, the Knicks are back. They're going to be doing so many good things. Julius Randle is a superstar. And RJ Barrett and him are going to go back and forth. I think adding Donovan Mitchell to this team along with Jalen Brunson, who is a little bit of a combo guard. And they're both smaller guards, though. They don't really play great defense. But either way, I think personally that RJ to the Jazz makes a lot of sense, and Donovan Mitchell to the Knicks makes just as much sense. So that would be a majority of their package. But what else are you throwing in there? I mean, Donovan's on a massive contract, so that would have to include Evan Fournier, um, maybe Alec Burks, Derrick Rose, just some expiring players on bigger contracts that aren't really going to get, well, I'm sure they would get playing time, but to make the salaries match, it's not like the NFL to where if the Jazz have so much cap space, then they can eat some of his salary. They have to match salaries and the NBA is still as far as I'm concerned. So it's going to be interesting to see over the next couple of days, but if Danny Ainge is expecting seven to eight unprotected first round picks, I think he needs to hold his high horses, and what he got for Rudy Gobert surprised everyone in the media, but I think Rudy's going to do really good things for the Timberwolves, and I think Donovan could do better things for the Knicks. I think the Knicks are got to be going all in for this. The Heat were also kind of rumored, but it kind of feels like it's the Knicks deal to lose. So there was someone that said that, uh, I think it was Chris Broussard on uh, the herd saying something along the lines of the Knicks were close to signing Kevin Durant. The Knicks were close to getting Zion Williams, but they didn't. It feels like the Knicks are just kind of close to doing everything, but can never get over the hump to complete the deal or get, you know, the draft pick or somewhere in that range. I think the Knicks, they get Donovan Mitchell. Obviously they're going to be improved from last year because they were, they were pretty, pretty terrible last year. Does it make them a playoff team? I think absolutely it does. Where do you see them at? It's going to be tough because the Eastern Conference really is not very strong. Uh, I like the Cavs coming out um, and being better this year because they were already a super good first half of the season team, and then they got hurt, and they never really recovered. They still have Colin Sexton on their team. Whether they re-sign him or they trade him, they're going to get something good off of Colin Sexton. Kevin Love um, kind of embraced his role as the vet six-man kind of deal. Evan Mobley's only going to get better. Darius Garland's only going to get better. A lot, this is probably one of the youngest teams in the league, and they were very, very good last year. I think they just missed the playoffs, or they were a play-in team somewhere in that range. But I think that the 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 uh, excuse me the Cavaliers bring out a healthy roster next year. They're going to be a four or five seed just with the progression of everybody. And then the Sixers, James Harden says that he's in the best shape of his career. He's been taking less money. He's been letting Daryl Morey go out and sign key pieces. And he said, I'll just take whatever is left after that. And ended up being right around, I think, $32 million, somewhere in that range. Um, the 
excuse me, the Bucks are going to be healthy again. The Heat are going to be back. The Celtics were just in the finals. Where does this slot the Knicks? I would say probably a six or seven seed. And if you go past the six seed, you're playing in the play-in. So, again, injuries could, are going to play a really big part in all this because there's very few teams that I don't think, you know, go a full season without at least one of their key players missing some sort of time. It'll just be really interesting to see. Again, I say the Knicks probably a five seed to seven seed and then anywhere from a seven to ten seed fighting for a play-in spot. Sticking with some NBA talk, the Suns decided to match DeAndre Ayton's contract from the Pacers. DeAndre got a max extension from Indiana. I think it was like four years, $132 million. And from what Woj tweeted out, he said that as soon as the Suns got that offer for DeAndre Ayton to match it, they did. So I don't think it went a full day without it being matched. Which I think would have been a good move for the Pacers. I think a sign-in trade would have been really well done. Specifically centered around a center swap with Miles Turner and DeAndre Ayton. I just feel like Ayton isn't the defender that Turner is. I think Turner is a premier shot blocker in the league. I think he plays really good defense. He plays pretty okay defense on the perimeter, but once you get inside again, he's elite at shot blocking. He kind of gives me, well, Jaron Jackson reminds me of Miles Turner because Miles Turner kind of came into the league as, you know, a shot blocker. And Jaron Jackson is just kind of, at least from my knowledge, just kind of turned into one over the past, this past season. But where does the Suns, where does this land the Suns? Where do they go from here? I think maybe another top three seed in the, in the West. They don't, there's no moves that they made or have lost anyone key that is screaming to me that they're going to, get worse they did lose JaVale McGee which I'm sure is going to be a a legitimate a very big loss because he was running the backup center minutes he's over in Dallas now Uh, McGee is I mean it's still pretty much the same team they're still in the running to get Kevin Durant but again another report came out today saying that there's no one that's really calling the Nets phone asking for Kevin Durant and I don't blame him I think Kevin Durant should stay in Brooklyn honestly but the Suns, where does this put the Suns at? You're pretty much rolling out the same starting five that you did last year. You know, you're eight, you're banking on a aging Chris Paul. Devin Booker, I think, is close to his peak if he's not already hit where he's going to be at for the rest of his career. DeAndre Ayton can get better defensively. Mikel Bridges is already one of the best two-way players, or excuse me, three and D guards in the league. Cam Johnson is good, but I don't remember if he was coming off the bench or starting, but either way, it was either him or Jay Crowder, but Jay Crowder is a really good guy to be just in the locker room in general. He is kind of that, I don't necessarily want to say glue guy, but he gives me those vibes to where he's just surrounded by winning. You know, he went, excuse me, he went to Boston, he won. He went to Cleveland. He won there. And then he went to Utah. They were really good with him. And then he went to the Heat. They made the finals run with him. And then they went here. He went to the Suns. And I think he was on that championship team that lost to the Bucks. But you see where I'm getting at. He just doesn't miss the playoffs very often uh, in his career. I'm sure he has like earlier in his career because I think he was on some of those Dallas teams that were an older Dirk without Luka. But for the Suns, I don't really know where this takes them from here. They're they're rolling out the same roster for the third straight year, hoping that something goes right and bounces their way. But you know that guy that's in Dallas, his team got better. The team, Dallas's star that bounced the Suns from the playoffs. And I think as of right now, the Mavericks obviously got so much better with the addition of Christian Wood and then JaVale McGee. Now, whether you run Wood at the four and then McGee at the five, or you run Wood at the five and then McGee off the bench, that's up to them, obviously. So, I think the Suns are only got the same roster and got beat by Dallas. I think Dallas got better this year, even whenever they did lose Jalen Brunson. I think the addition of Christian Wood is a better addition than having Jalen Brunson and bringing him back because you have another guard 
Spencer Dinwiddie off the bench. Now, Spencer Dinwiddie was really good off the bench. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that Spencer Dinwiddie is going to slide right into where Jalen Brunson was. And I'm sure they're going to miss a little bit of a beat because I Spencer kind of gives me the playmaking vibes. Um, just more of the fact that you're going to kick it out to him. And he, he's, he's respectable from three. I mean, you got to think that the Nets at one point were – at least from what it looked like to me, we're going to try to build around Spencer Dinwiddie before they got D'Angelo Russell or before they got Kyrie Irving. Like he was the guy that was there for the longest period of time. He was there through the D'Lo days. And then he was there through um, the early stages. I'm pretty sure of the Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant era. So Spencer Dinwiddie, I think is a very solid guard. He's a big guard too. So you'll be running point guard, Luca, 6-7, and then you'll be running shooting guard Spencer Dinwiddie, who's 6-5 to 6-7. They're both really big really big guards, and Luka is just a big body in general. So you get Luka in the post backing down a Chris Paul. He can either shoot over the fadeaway he did, um, like he did all last, uh, last time they played, or he can kick it out to Spencer Dinwiddie because they picked on Chris Paul and Devin Booker. Mikael Bridges is not going to be lined up with them each time. And then you have Christian Wood and JaVale McGee as lob threats. So obviously I think the Suns are better than the Mavs, but I think that the competition around them got significantly better in the Western conference alone. And that I don't think they're going to dominate it like they did last year. Granted, you did lose a team in Utah that's kind of going through a rebuild, but Minnesota, who knows what they're going to look like. They seem to have found their coach. They were a playing team last year. They added Rudy Gobert. Now they did give up some depth, but I mean, not to compare teams at all or not to compare, you know, the Warriors to the Timberwolves, but I mean, the Warriors bench wasn't all that great whenever they had Kevin Durant and I'm not comparing Rudy Gobert to Kevin Durant. I'm comparing the two just overall teams, um, just kind of what they were good at and what they were bad at. And I think that defensively, this could be one of the best teams in the league, uh, talking about the Timberwolves. But going back to the Suns, how good does this make them? I think that they're going to get worse this year. And by worse, I mean they won like 67 games this past season or some some stupid crazy number like that. Where does it take them from here? Well, I think the Warriors are going to have Clay back fully healthy, and they're in the mix to get Kevin Durant. So I think they're going to be a top seed. The Mavericks are going to be up there as well. The Blazers are going to be back with Dame. Denver is going to run out of hopefully run out a healthy roster. And these are just the teams that I'm bouncing off the dome. I mean, LeBron dominated in the the Drew League. Granted, that's the Drew League, but who knows if Kyrie Irving is going to get traded to the Lakers? I haven't heard anything about that in the past couple of days. You know, it's. I'm trying to think the Clippers are going to be better next year because I think they're going to be the number one seed. They're going to run back Kawhi Leonard, Chris Paul, or excuse me, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, Robert Covington, Zubac, and then you bring in John Wall on top of having Reggie Jackson. Like that team's going to be disgusting. Again, I I mentioned a little bit in the last podcast, or a little bit. I'm a big John Wall fan. He's, I, I am a big John Wall fan. And I'm really excited to see him with Kawhi and PG. I think the Suns could fall. I think there could be a top three seed. I'm sure they could beat out the Clippers for the one seed if they, you know, are as good as they were last year. But there's no promises to that. Again, their distributor, their, you know, one of the best point guards in NBA history, Chris Paul. He's getting older. I don't understand. You know, they. I feel like they've neglected. You know, trying to replace not don't not to replace Chris Paul, but bring in a, a backup. Cameron Payne is good, but they do two completely different things. Cameron Payne's more of a scorer. Chris Paul at this age isn't really known for his scoring. He gets to his spots. He hits his mid range jumper. He hits a three occasionally, but he's going to play make. And that could be him going for the assist record. I don't care. You get assist, you know, do you? But they don't really have a guy to back up Chris Paul that plays like Chris Paul. So whenever Chris Paul goes down with an injury or Chris Paul is not playing very well, they can't just throw their backup point guard in there and be like, go do what Chris Paul was doing. Cameron Payne 
plays a whole different game. Whenever Cameron Payne's on the floor for the Suns, they are a upbeat tempo. Let's go score. Let's go try to outscore our, you know, our opponent. Whenever Chris Paul's on the floor, they are pass the ball around the top of the key, maybe feed it into DeAndre Ayton, but get it back out, try to find the best shot. Playmate kind of team. They are one of the I think I seen something a couple weeks ago where it said Chris Paul and the Suns when it with the Suns are on the floor with Chris Paul. Excuse me, when Chris Paul is on the floor, they are one of the slower-paced teams in the league. But with Cameron Payne, like it's just, again, it's a complete flip of the switch with Cameron Payne on the floor from Chris Paul. And obviously, I'm sure it's Cameron Payne being 12 to 15 years younger than Chris Paul, but having the inexperience that Chris Paul has, I mean, whether you agree with it or not, I mean, Chris Paul has been to one finals, but he has been to the playoffs almost every year of his career. He's a winning player. He just feels like bad luck follows him. And that year that they played the Bucks was the best chance that he had at winning a title. With Houston, he got hurt a couple different times. With the Clippers, they were surrounded by just injury-prone players, including Chris Paul. Chris Paul, Devin Booker, Kevin Booker, Blake Griffin, DeAndre Jordan was the most consistent piece out of that. And he almost left for the Mavericks. Like, And they called him and said, come back. So I just... I don't know where this lands the Suns. I'm sure they're going to be a really good, um, a really good regular season team. But if they go out and they have a really good regular season and they don't have anything to show for it, this is starting to become the Jazz, and the Jazz are imploding their team as we speak. The last topic that I wanted to touch on, NBA related, before we get to some MLB is Keegan Murray was named the Summer League MVP. And I remember this pick getting hella hate. Hella hate. Now, I'm not saying that Keegan Murray is going to come in here and he's going to be you know, the best player on the Kings. Who knows? He might be. But he's what the Kings needed. He's a guy that's going to come in and immediately make impact on the team. They just made a bunch of winning moves this past season, trading away Tyrese Halliburton and getting Sabonis. Trading away a bad contract with Buddy Heald and bringing in, again, Sabonis. They needed someone alongside Harrison Barnes, and who I, I really thought they were going to trade Harrison Barnes, and they still might because Keegan Murray is pretty much just a younger version of Harrison Barnes. I don't think that... Keegan Murray plays defense that Harrison Barnes does. But I think Murray comes in and he's going to give you probably 15 to 17 points a game. He's going to give you five to six, five to seven rebounds and maybe two or three assists. Sounds like a winning player in Sacramento if you ask me. And Jaden Ivey has come out and said, I didn't want to go to Sacramento. Do not draft me to Sacramento. I won't play. Do not draft me. You know, I don't want to play in Sacramento. So who was the next best option that was on the board? Shaden Sharp. He went, I think he went eight. You don't need a big guy. You've got Sabonis. You don't need a point guard. You've got Fox. And you're considering, I mean, you traded away Tyrese Halliburton. You're building around with Fox. You're letting Fox go, kind of go crazy, because this is the guy you're wanting to build your future around. I can't really think of anyone that would be better at this point. I personally like the pick. This is what I, this is the pick that I would have made if I were the Kings. This pick made too much sense to for them to to king it up, you know, to Sacramento king it up. Mess it up. Do something stupid. Trade away the pick for, I don't know, something stupid or draft some guy that could have been there if they would have traded back in the first round. This pick made the most sense, and I'm glad that Keegan Murray, again, summer league is summer league. But again, I think he could come in and make an immediate impact. He was one of the oldest players in the draft, and he's the most NBA ready in the draft as well. I think the Kings may not have got a steal, because I think he could have been there maybe 7, 8, 9-ish. And I'm sure that they were trying to trade down. But I'm glad that they didn't try to overthink it. They were like, no one wants 4. They were going to take our guy at pick 4. And here we are. Summer League MVP. And the Kings 
I personally don't think that they're going to be a playoff team, but their roster is improving and improving and improving. And I think in a couple of years, they, 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 they may sneak in there. They may sneak in there this year. They're a scary good team. Um, a sneaky good team, I would say. Harrison Barnes is still making a little bit too much money, but I personally like Harrison Barnes. He comes in, gives you like 15 points a game. He's pretty much like an older version of Keegan Murray again. He comes in, doesn't really make a lot of noise, doesn't demand the ball, just plays his position and plays his role really well. This episode of No Playbook is sponsored by LTT Productions. Like, comment, share, tell your friends, even tell your grandma. Get the word out about LTT, and we can watch this thing grow together. This episode of No Playbook is brought to you in partnership with musician Jumbo the Bear God. You can get his new song, NDA, wherever you get your music, and make sure to check out his music video on YouTube, filmed by Bonzo Raps and in association with Create the Mood Films. A link to his YouTube page will be linked in the Twitter post and also in the description. Make sure you check him out wherever you get your music, and thank you to Jobo for partnering for this podcast. Okay, let's talk baseball. A report came out saying that Juan Soto has declined a, I think it was like either a 10 or 15 year, $440 million contract with the Nationals. He's 23 years old, two-time Silver Slugger, two-time All-Star, World Series champion, and now Home Run Derby champion. He's 23 years old, and the Nationals suck. Like, suck, suck. So, he goes to the All-Star game, and there have been multiple reports that came out saying that the Nationals didn't fly him that he had to fly commercial. Could you imagine buying just some random ticket to go to LA and you look next to you and it's Juan Soto sitting in the middle seat, sitting beside you on the plane. Now, I'm sure that by commercial he was first class type deal because, again, he's he hasn't made... I don't know how much money he's made exactly in his career. Obviously, I think he's up for his first big contract and... Looks like whoever trades for him is going to give him his first big contract. Uh, the Cardinals are reported to be uh, the favorites to trade for him. And uh, I don't think it's a bad move for the Cardinals to kind of youth up that roster. But the Cardinals need pitching desperately. Like, terribly bad. They need pitching. So unless that they trade, they get Juan Soto and some pitchers. Now granted, my problem with the Cardinals is every year they go out, they address the offense, and then they don't address the pitching. Well, bad pitching is going to put your offense in a hole, and uh, Miles Michaelis is 7-7 seven and seven with a 254 ERA. It's like one of the lowest in all of Major League Baseball. He has 7-7 seven and seven because the Cardinals lay a fucking goose egg every time they see Michaelis on the mound. They're just like, yeah, we'll, we'll go... We'll put up maybe a run, two runs. Like, it's ridiculous. And it's not even, it's baseball at this point. A three-something ERA is considered, like, top-notch. Michaelis has a 254 ERA. And he's 7-7 seven and seven because the Cardinals can't put the ball in play, get a walk, do anything while Michaelis is on the mound. And this is my problem with the Cardinals. A little Cardinals fan rant here is that they go on these little, I wouldn't necessarily even say droughts. I just personally get upset because they're half in, half out every year. We could make the playoffs. We may not make the playoffs. We may win the division. We're probably going to get eliminated in the first round. Why? What is the point? I get trying to be relevant, but you're not winning anything. It's kind of like, are you trying to win or are you trying to be relevant? You, you can't have both. I mean, you can be you can have both, but pick a fucking side. You can't be down the middle because they're in danger of not making the playoffs. They don't win their division. They're not in the playoffs. The Braves or the Mets, whoever wins that division, the second place team is like one of the best teams in all of baseball. Then you've got the Padres out there in the NL West, and then you've got the Phillies that – I think have either a better record than the Cardinals or 
are like one game behind the Cardinals. And they fired their manager midseason. And they got better without Bryce Harper. Bryce Harper, one of the best players in all of the league, all of baseball. So pitching needs to be addressed this offseason if the Cardinals want to be relevant and make a somewhat run in the playoffs. But Juan Soto being on the block is interesting because they kicked it to Buster only during the All-Star game this past or yesterday. I'm recording this on a Wednesday night, so I can put it, post it for you Thursday at 10 o'clock. Um, that's going to be my new upload time, but I'll get in more detail about that at the end. They talked to somebody, but Buster Olney is pretty much the Woj and the Schefters and the Rappaports and the Sham Sharanyas of baseball. And he came out and said that he expects Juan Soto to be traded in the next couple weeks. Because I know for damn sure you're not going to fly me out there after I reject a contract. I don't want to suit up for you again. Just trade me right now. And the, the Nationals are going to get a haul from somebody. Because he's already, again, a top maybe five outfielder on baseball. A top ten player in all the baseball in general. And he's a year older than I am. Two years older than I am. He is 23 years old. That is crazy to think about. That he is that good, that young. That means whenever they won their championship in 2019, he was like 20, 19, 20 years old. It, it, it's mind-boggling to me. And I, again, I don't blame him. Sorry, you're going to hear mouse clicking because I want to double-check that Juan is that young. Twenty-three. Yep, he was born in nineteen ninety-eight. So Juan Soto's flight landed. I'm glad I looked at this because I, I seen this and forgot. Juan Soto, you know, took a commercial flight. His flight landed at 1.30 in the morning before the home run derby after the national was refused to charter his flight. And there was a report that came out. So I looked on Juan Soto and I want to double I want to see what teams are interested. Um, uh, The Nationals are entertaining trades for Juan Soto. The Nationals are intent on finding a team that will, quote-unquote, pay the enormous price for Soto. The enormous price. Get the hell out of here. Saturday, the Nationals entertained trade offers for Soto after he rejected a 15-year, $440 million contract extension. It would have been the richest in baseball, surpassing Trout's. Um, what is he looking for? It would pay $29.3 million per season, and that is 15th in the MLB. Um, I don't know what he's looking for. I'm sure he's looking for, what did it say, $400 million, $440? I'm sure he's looking for that Patrick Mahomes contract, 15 years, $5 million type deal. And he's worth it. He's 23, and again, the best, one of the best outfielders in baseball. So, um... Yeah, they're at the bottom of their division. The Nationals suck. They have since they've won the World Series whenever they're just like, okay, we did it, we won, so you can just leave. And rightfully so. Who knows how? whenever the Nationals are going to be good again, just in general, because they, they surprised everyone and won the World Series. So tip of the cap to you, but you've got your franchise player right here. You're not going to pay him. Who the hell else? Who the hell else are you paying on that team? Why are you not going to pay Juan Soto? Who knows where he goes? I would love to see him in a Cardinal uniform, but what does that take? What are they looking for? What are they going to have to give up? What are teams going to have to give up to get Juan Soto? It's going to be a lot. Does anyone have anything crazy like that? I mean, the team that makes the most sense would probably be the Dodgers because their team is jacked and loaded to where they can give up a random piece and then be done with it. You know what would be funny, though? If they tra- if the uh, Yankees traded Judge for Soto, I think that'd be pretty cool. Uh, because the way it's looking, Judge isn't going to be in New York after this season. He did an interview on live TV. This lady, okay, like 
screwed over Aaron Judge. She did an interview with him on live TV and pretty much called him out saying, oh, there's this 10-year-old kid that doesn't think that Aaron Judge is going to be on the Yankees anymore. And he was basically like, yeah. He's like, listen, there's a bunch of good players on our team. The Yankees are not going to keep Aaron Judge. And Juan Soto on the market. Where the Nationals do it? I mean, I don't know. They're not going to... They don't want to pay Juan Soto, who's 23. So why would they not want to pay Aaron Judge, who's going to be 30, neither this year, next year, or the year after? He's like 28 or something like that. The Nationals, being the Nationals, they're going they're starting to turn into the just delusional team. Unless I'm unless I'm overthinking it, because I think this is a no-brainer. You pay Juan Soto whatever he wants, even if it's if it's 15 years, 500 million. You keep him on the roster because he's got all-time great potential. If he keeps it up like this, all-time great potential. So I'm excited to see where that goes, and hopefully he'll be traded here soon in the heart of the offseason. So the final thing that I have for the MLB, we've got a couple things on the NFL, but my division winners for the rest of baseball. The AL Central, the Twins currently are have a two-game lead of the Guardians, and I think the Guardians will come back and win that division. They were one of my sneaky teams to kind of begin with uh, to make kind of make a dark horse run to the World Series. Whether they do or not, no idea, but I think the Guardians could make some noise in the playoffs, and I think they could easily win this division. The AL East, let me just get the ones out of the way that are, excuse me, let me get the ones out of the way that are just too oblivious not to say. Yankees, they're 13 games of anyone else in that division. They're going to win that one. The Dodgers are 10 games ahead of anyone else in that division. They're going to win that one. So the AL East and the NL West are out. The AL West, I have the Astros winning it. I think they have maybe a nine-game lead, but I think the Astros are the top three team in baseball, and I think that they are my team to win the World Series. They have good hitting. They have a great pitching staff. Justin Verlander has drank the fountain of youth and has just become the vintage Justin Verlander that we all know and love. So I think the Astros could very, personally, my favorite team to win the World Series. The NL Central, the Cardinals, I think that they have a way easier schedule. They have been brutalized with pitching rotation injuries as well as a really a fairly hard schedule through the first half of the season. Their schedule gets much easier. They play the Reds maybe two times. They play the Cubs two times. They play the Pirates two times. They play, I think, the Brewers. Or by two times, I mean two, two series, excuse me. So maybe six to eight times for each of the divisional teams. Uh, the Braves, they're two and a half back games of the Mets. Even with Jacob DeGrom and Max Scherzer coming back, I still think the Braves could be, again, a dark horse team. I don't think anyone's beating this team in a three, five, seven game series. And then again, the AL East Yankees, 13 games ahead of everyone. And then the Dodgers of the NL West are 10 games ahead of everyone. So those are my division winners as of right now. Obviously, something could change between here and the playoffs or here you're in even, you know, again, this is a Wednesday night, so teams start playing again, I think, either Thursday or Friday. So getting an extended weekend or a week off. And much deserved. They play a stupid amount of games in a stupid amount of time. So I don't understand baseball scheduling, and I never will. But before we kick it to some NFL news, let's go ahead and hear from today's sponsors. This episode of No Playbook is brought to you in partnership with musician Jumbo the Bear God. You can get his new song, NDA, wherever you get your music, and make sure to check out his music video on YouTube, filmed by Bonzo Raps and in association with Create the Mood Films. A link to his YouTube page will be linked in the Twitter post and also in the description. Make sure you check him out wherever you get your music, and thank you to Jobo for partnering for this podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Smith Media Consulting. For all your audio or video production, or for media consulting, contact Smith Media Consulting at 618-294-3399. Again, contact Smith Media Consulting at 
294-3399. So starting off, the NFL takes. I want to show you and tell you about the stupidest thing that I've seen on Twitter outside of the, the Nationals not want to pay Juan Soto. Apparently, my Twitter has been discussed of does Andrew Luck deserve to be in the Colts Ring of Honor? Personally, I think he needs to be in the Hall of Fame because talent-wise, his accomplishments aren't very, well, impressive outside of just his winning. So before Luck got there, the Colts were 2-14. and 14. They were tanking for Andrew Luck, and they've got him. First year with, with Luck, matter of fact, the first three years with Luck, the Colts went 11-5 and five and progressively advanced a week in the playoffs. So the first year, they lost in the wild card. The following year, they lost in the divisional. And then the year after that, they lost in the conference championship. All-time Andrew Luck stats. 55-33 and 33 total games that he has he's played. And he missed one full season of NFL. I'm pretty sure that was whenever he had a ruptured kidney or a ruptured lung, somewhere in that range, uh, something like that. I mean, it, it's super serious, obviously. I just cannot remember for the life of me. Um, I completely forgot to look up why he missed the – I think it was 2017. And then he played, tw- he played seven games in 2016. So his first full year back was 2018, and he played every game. So he is 53, or excuse me, 55 and 33, 23,671 passing yards, 171 touchdowns, 83 interceptions, 174 sacks. He was sacked 41 times in the span of five years. He was sacked 41 times twice. He has lost a total of 1,124 yards due to sacks. He went four years without a 1,000-yard rusher and two years without a 600-yard rusher. And looking at the defense, this was actually a lot better than what I expected it to be. Uh, 2012, they had the 21st-ranked defense. The 2013 season, they had the 9th-ranked defense. 2014, the 19th-ranked defense. 2015, where he only played seven games, they had the 25th-ranked defense. 2016, he missed, nope, excuse me, 2016, he had the 22nd ranked defense. He missed the full season in 2017 with the 30th ranked defense. And his final year in 2018, they had the 10th best defense in the league. This is also having Chuck Pagano as a defensive head coach on the roster. And the first year that they went 11 and 5, they had a negative point differential. Just. Just, just think about that. Let, let that sink in. To tell me, one of the best quarterbacks in my lifetime, and granted, again, I was born in 2000, started watching the NFL like heavily probably in 2012, 2010, somewhere in that range. One of the most talented quarterbacks doesn't deserve to be in the Colts ring of honor. He's easily... I mean, you've got Johnny Unitas, but I can't think of anyone outside of Johnny Unitas, Peyton Manning, and Andrew Luck as the best quarterbacks in Colt history. There's a reason that he went number one consensus and that they compare Trevor Lawrence to the best talent since Andrew Luck. Kid was a stud. He was, again, one of the best quarterbacks in the league on one of the worst goddamn rosters that you could throw out there. And he continued to carry and carry and carry this team to the playoffs. Like, why is this a discussion? Why? I get the Colts being upset that he retired. But he gave everything he had for you, and you could not build a competent team around him. Were you in the process of doing that? Yes. Did they have the best team that he would have played for in 2019? Absolutely. But one of the worst offensive lines in the league. One of the worst receiving cores in the league. Easily probably the worst running back situation in the league for a majority of that. The last couple years, he had an older Frank Gore, but Frank Gore also ran for like 900, almost 1,000 yards one season and then ran for 1,000 yards plus 
a, a season uh, not short after that. So does Andrew Luck need to be deserve to be in the Colts Ring of Honor? Yes, no question about it. Does he deserve to be in the Hall of Fame? Probably not, because again, I mean, these stats are really good for six years, but this isn't based off of six years. Personally, again, Andrew Luck, you've got is one of the most talented quarterbacks I've ever seen. Simple as that. I'll be glad whenever Deshaun Watson gets suspended or does anything so I can stop talking about the possibility of him being suspended. But Watson, according to a couple different sources, is more than likely going to face a eight-game suspension. That's what the Browns are, quote-unquote, quietly preparing for. So the first eight weeks of the season, Deshaun Watson will not be there. How ironic that their ninth week is a buy. Not, not, not to say ironic. I would say more or less lucky. Um, so they play the first eight weeks and then they go on their buy. And then, you know, he should be ready to go. Watson facing eight games is not as bad as what most people would have wanted. A full year suspension and definite suspension. I'm just not really good with all this legal stuff, honestly. So... I'll leave that to Roger Goodell, but Watson facing an eight-game suspension seems more and more likely, according to sources. And I thought the Browns, with that full season of Deshaun Watson, were going to be the number one seed. And I now have them probably 11 and six around there. Uh, team predictions are right after this next one. Uh, I went through every team and. Uh, Went line by line, win, win, loss, 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 win, loss, win, loss. So that's actually pretty fun. I enjoyed that. But the 49ers, before I press record on this, gave Jimmy G permission to seek a trade partner. Now, they're not going to trade him in division because the obvious choice would be the Seahawks. But where does Jimmy G go from here? A lot of people assume that this is going to be Tom Brady's last year in the league. Could he go to Green Bay to back up Aaron Rodgers because this may be Aaron Rodgers last year in the league? If Tua doesn't work out, do they maybe try to make a move to Miami? But they have Teddy Bridgewater as a backup. But I think, even though I love Teddy Bridgewater, I think Jimmy Garoppolo is way more talented than Teddy Bridgewater. Who knows? Um, That's for Jimmy G and his team to figure out where he's going to go. A lot of people thought that Carolina was the more likely destination, but it just made... I think the Carolina Panthers, I don't necessarily even know they wanted Baker, but they their owner, David Tepper, viewed Baker as a depressing asset. And apparently in real estate terms, that means that he could he got him for what he got him for because nobody wanted him. And that, you know, from what I understood, that the Carolina Panthers and the Browns had a trade-in effect, and they took it to David Tepper, and he's like, I'm not paying that much for – um, for Baker Mayfield. So they waited and they waited for someone to trade for him, knowing that Jimmy G was going to eventually become available. And I, they eventually found a solution to where they got him for a conditional fifth round pick, which either has the chances of moving up to a fourth. And then they also are only paying $5 million of his salary. Carolina is a interesting team because with a healthy CMC, this team's going to be really good, but CMC has very rarely been healthy in his career. Um, Madden ratings are dropping too, uh, so they haven't released all of them yet. Whenever they do, I'll make a podcast about that one, my next one. Hopefully, they'll all be released. So where is the more likely destination for Jimmy Garoppolo? I would say it's somewhere where with the back where he's the backup for a year with a Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, um, I'm trying to think of maybe a team with a quarterback on the last year, their deal that they're not going to extend. I honestly thought about Carolina again. Because um, Carolina is going to be in the market for a new team, or excuse me, a new quarterback after this season. Maybe the Saints. I don't think that would be a bad one. But they have Jameis. But are they really committed to Jameis like that? Um, not trading him in division. The Browns, I've heard, with um, Deshaun facing time, the Browns could make a decision to trade for him.
I think Minnesota could honestly make a move if Kirk Cousins doesn't perform how they want, how they expect him to next year. There's just a lot of different options, but the one that I keep hearing is Tampa. Now, what does it take to get him to Tampa? Probably what they paid for him, a second-round pick. Because of how good that Tampa's roster is, I think that Jimmy Garoppolo can slide right in and pretty much just be a, just be another version of the 49ers for him. So Jimmy G is going to be really interesting because he's a little bit, obviously he's a lot older than, well, I wouldn't say a lot, maybe like four or five years. He's older than Baker Mayfield. He's on a bigger contract than Baker Mayfield. And he's a great locker room guy. Like that is one thing you can say about Jimmy Garoppolo is that everyone in that 49er locker, everyone in that 49er locker room loves Jimmy Garoppolo. That's what you can say. Okay. So finally, the moment that I have been awaiting for, not necessarily, but we're going to cap off today's show with my predictions for the upcoming season for teams. So I have where they would rank in the division and then where they would rank in the conference. And I went specifically off of just guessing. I mean, obviously, injuries are going to happen. Teams are going to make trades, yada, yada, yada. So this is my prediction of where all of these teams are going to end up. So let's start in the NFC West. I have the Rams winning that division at 12-5. and Ironically enough, I have them losing to the 49ers both times, but that's okay. They're still going to win the division. They're going to go 12-5 and five in my eyes. 49ers, 10-7 and seven with Jimmy Garoppolo, with Trey Lance. It doesn't matter. I think that either way they're going to pound the ball down your throat. Uh, Trey Lance gives them a way better option to do that because he is built just like Cam Newton is. Um, so I think that their offense is going to be – I think Trey Lance could low-key be a really good fantasy pickup because they're not going to ask him to – throw the ball a lot because they don't really well necessarily do that in San Francisco. I have Arizona at 9 and 8. I just don't think this team is very good. They lost Chandler uh, Jones on defense, JJ Watts getting older, DeAndre Hopkins is facing a six-game suspension and they sucked without DeAndre Hopkins, so 9 and 8 seems about right. And then I have the Seahawks going 4 and 13. So the Rams Win that division at 12 and 5, 49ers at 10 and 7, finish second, Arizona at 9 and 8, finish third, and the Seahawks at 4 and 13, finish fourth. In the NFC North, I have the Packers and the Vikings tied for first with 11, or excuse me, at 11 and 6. I think that with Kevin O'Connor, Kevin O'Connor, excuse me, Kevin, o- Kevin O'Connell, I think. He was a OC for the Rams. I can't remember his name or his last name, excuse me. Um, but he runs a more run less offense than what Mike Zimmer did and they have the some of the best receiving core in the league with Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen. So I think that they're going to open it up more. They're going to pass a lot more. They're going to rely more on Kirk Cousins, which really isn't a bad thing. And even if, you know, Kirk's struggling, you have, oh, here's a top five back in the league in Dalvin Cook whenever he's healthy. So I think that the Vikings could, again, sneakily win this division. I have both the Packers and the Vikings finish at 11-6. and six. I have the Bears finishing at 8-9. and nine. This team is way too damn good to go, like, there's a bunch of teams, there's a lot of people saying that they're going to not win a game or they're going to be very bad. I think Justin Fields is, from what I've heard, looks good. Darnell Mooney has put up really good, um, put on some weight. They got Nikhil Harry. They just seem like they're going to not, I don't, I'm not saying they're going to make the playoffs or they're going to compete for a Super Bowl, but they're going to show a lot of progression this season. And then I have Detroit at 6 and 11. Going to the NFC East, I have Philly winning that division at 13 and 4. Their roster is so damn good. It's so hard to tell who they're going to beat because if Jalen Hurts is kind of terrible, then they're not going to be very good. Uh, I have Dallas at 9 and 8, Washington at 6 and 11, and then the Giants at 3 and 14. I don't think the Giants are going to be very good this year. I think Brian Dable was a great hire, but I just their offense is just terrible so they made some improvements in the draft but I don't think that that offense is gonna show up 
And finally, the last team in the NFC, the NFC South. I have the Bucks at 11 and 6. I have the Saints at 9 and 8. I have the Panthers at 6 and 11. And then I have the Falcons at 4 and 13. So the Bucks. I have a lot of teams ironically finishing 11 and 6 throughout this. It just seems like a happy median um, for everyone. So taking a look at my NFC playoff bracket, the Eagles get the first round by with a 13 and 4 record. The Rams get the two seed. They will play the Saints at the seven seed. The Vikings end up getting a tiebreaker over the Packers. They have the three seed. They'll play the 49ers as the six seed. And then Tampa Bay rounds out the division winners with the four seed. They will play the Packers as the Packers will get in with the fifth seed. I started with the AFC East, or excuse me, AFC West <clears throat> over on the AFC side as well. I have Kansas City winning that division at 12-5. and five. I have the Chargers at 11-6. and six. I have the Raiders at 10-7. and seven. And then the Broncos at 9-8. and eight. New coach for the Broncos. New whole new everything. So this could kind of just be a getting to gel and know each other kind of year. Las Vegas, I think, has much improved. Their pass rush is really good. Their secondary isn't as good, but, I mean, they have, again, Max Crosby and um, Chandler Jones coming off of one side. The Chargers, if Brandon Staley and the defense can actually coach and show up this year, we're going to be really good. And then Kansas City, I just think, is still the best coach in the division, the best quarterback in the division. Uh, they did lose Tyreek Hill, but they always seem to come around in the second half of the season and show up and just kind of dominate the league. The AFC North, AFC North, excuse me, I have a three-way tie for first. Baltimore, Cincinnati, and Cleveland all finishing 11-6. and six. Again, I don't know why 11-6 and six was my happy medium, but that's just where I ended up. And then Pittsburgh finishing 9-8. and eight. This team is too talented to, I think, lose, you know, go under 500. And again, I want to reiterate that these are just my predictions. These are... Just silly things that, not even necessarily silly, but just things that I were trying to do for content-wise. And I personally, like I said, I had fun doing this, uh, kind of going through and predicting everyone's record and where they uh, end up. The AFC East, this is probably one of the easiest divisions. I have Buffalo winning this one at 12-5, and Miami at 10-7, and New England at 8-9, and and the Jets are at 6-11. and the AFC South, I have Indianapolis at 10 and 7 and Tennessee at 10 and 7. I have they have the edge to the Colts. Uh, Jacksonville at 5 and 12 and Houston at 2 and 15. So taking a look at the AFC side of things, the bye would go to Buffalo because I think they're just going to beat the shit out of everyone that they face. Um, they do have a couple games in there that were I feel like they could lose um Kansas City gets a two seed. They will play um, the seven seed, who I have as Cincinnati, Cleveland, Las Vegas, or the Chargers. Um, again, they all finished 11-6, and six, so one of these teams are bound to make the playoffs. Uh, Baltimore is the three seed, winning. I have them winning their division. Again, they'll play one of four teams, the Bengals, Browns, Raiders, or the Chargers. And then Indianapolis winning that division, they will play Either, again, one of the four teams that I have mentioned. So that is my predictions. I'm going to save it, and then we're going to come back and look at it midway through the season, see how big of an idiot I am or how, how smart I am. So hoping it's the other one, to be honest, but we'll never know. So that is going to do it for this episode of No Playbook. Um, again, I'm wanting to start uploading every Thursday at 10 o'clock. That is where my majority of my listeners, uh, that's where I get the most downloads at. So that will be a ideal time. So hopefully you're seeing this. You should be seeing this uh, pop up on your feed Thursday, which would be the 21st of July at 10 a.m. Um, again, I want to thank Jobo once again for partnering with me in the podcast. Um yeah, I mean, that's pretty much it. We are 50 days away from NFL football, thank goodness. 
and then with all of the news that's coming out, I'm sure if I can't find enough content to make, I may just do a, um, I'll do a redraft again. I've got a couple years of those lined up, ready to do. And then I'll probably just talk about what has happened and then throw a redraft on there towards the end of it to kind of make it not a 20 minute podcast kind of deal. So we'll see where we go from here. But again, I want to thank you for listening. This is Drew Pouncin of the No Playbook Podcast on the LTT Productions feed, signing off.